0: this is the sff audio podcast hi i'm jesse i'm tamahome and i'm jenny and we're talking about the world jones made by philip k dick a 1956 novel quite racy for 1956
1: Hmm. Parts. Racy? Racy? Well isn't racy? there like uh, mutant strippers having Oh yeah, sex I guess then changing gender and stuff. And yeah. people but having drugs. Hermaphrodites.
2: Except for you can't call it racy because that would be <laughs> you know, everything's relative.
0: Right. <laughs> I, I think that, that that's one of the best parts of this book is that that idea. Um it, in fact I think it makes the book bulletproof to criticism. Because you can't say this Philip K. Dick book is better than that Philip K. Dick book, Mm. because that wouldn't—that's just true for you. You can't say it's true for me too, right?
2: Right, and we should explain that the world of this book relativism is mandated by the government.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's like a it's kind of um, uh, reverse Nazism. (laughs) If there is such a thing, where they. They go around making sure nobody can be uh, uh, racist or sexist or have any strong opinions that aren't facts. And if they, if if you do that, you go to concentration camp. Yeah. A labor camp, I guess, rather than a concentration. Is camp relativism camp. A, a real term, or Yeah. Oh. It's a real. Uh, there's a Wikipedia entry for it, so it has to be real. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh no. Of course it is. It's um. It's uh, it's it's actually one of the criticisms a lot of um, Christians use to uh, defend their faith in the face of um, secularism. Say um, you can't believe in nothing, um, and yet you act as if everything is true. So they can believe in those things and. We Christians can believe in our things, and and you, you atheist, you you believe in nothing, and of course that's impossible. At least those Muslims over there, they're being honest with themselves. You're not being honest with yourself, because you you don't believe in anything, and that's impossible. And it it's a little bit explored in this book, I think. Ooh, there's a, mm-hmm. uh, ooh, L. Ron Hubbard wrote about. Oh. Uh, relativism, he said. Uh, the way to happiness in his booklet, the way to happiness, the relativistic view is what is true for you is is true. Hmm. Is <laughs> <The laughs> that Dianetics? An uh, 1980, so it's post Dianetics, but yeah, it would fit into it.
2: Well, and in the context of the book, didn't relativism take some people past communism? Mm-hmm. There's one character that says that's what changed everything for them.
0: Yeah, uh, there's there's lots of, there's like lots of little good explorations when they're at that um, that carnival, right? And Jones is is uh, doing his shtick, and and there's some guy in the lineup that uh, was it who's who's the uh, the main I guess he's the main character Kusak. Cusick. Yeah, Cusick says, um, "Well, if only you knew I was a secret policeman, you wouldn't be saying stuff like that." And then a bunch of people start listening in on that conversation, and the guy has to get—he gets shut down. His racist views are – his oh, his anti—his um, anti-mutant views get shut down. It, it, it's like um, you, you remember a few years ago, it was like political correctness was the I uh, this is a book about poli- po- political correctness society, in one part, anyways. That's one thing this book's about. Yeah, I, really- I,
2: I kind of felt like the storyline about communism, though, I mean, it's written in 1956, so also kind of explores the, you know, what, what would happen if the opposite of this were true?
0: <laughs> oh, uh, opposite of communism?
2: Sure, at least the experience that people in China were having
0: with Oh, communism. okay, gotcha, yeah. There is that sort of a... Uh, it's more about Chinese communism than right. it is about Russian communism. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there's lots of um, comparisons to, uh, of uh, Jones to Hitler as well. Um, uh, Dick was a big um, follower of the history of World War II, so he... he He's kind of sort sort of exploring that a little bit, I think, as well. I mean, he did that later in in uh, the Man in the High Castle, but here you actually get to see uh, his sort of. He, he at one point he says that uh, he has characters saying things like Hitler was a precog, he could see the future, and the evidence he cites is like the fact that he he avoided many assassination attempts. Um, but <laughs> notice um He didn't he didn't win in the end. And and the way Jones escapes his fate in the end is by embracing his fate, which is kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, I wasn't sure I understood that part. (laughs) I mean, tricky. yeah, it is tricky because he could always see a year into the future.
0: Except to the point where he knew he was going to die. And then he could only see six months into the future, or three months into the future, or two months into the future, right? Right. Uh, Except uh, there's also one little bit about after... He could see into the future after his death, but only, like, uh, he could see into his body... He could see his mind was still active after his death for, like, hours. And then it became sort of animalistic. And for weeks and then it becomes vegetative for months and then after that it's just uh mad and it was like oh that's a very different take on on the afterlife Mm
3: -hmm.
0: (laughs) you live in your in your brain uh in a sort of degenerating yeah he said you go you go back through stages through the mollusk stage and the insect stage into the S- cellular stage and then into mineral.
2: Well, and he kind of remembers that part of his the beginning of his life too.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, that's the right. The swirling
2: yeah. and the <laughs> the nothing to something basically,
0: and uh, and that ties into the other part of this this novel, which it, it's sort of a grab bag of ideas. It's not a uh, one thing explored. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's. This is. I think he, Philip K. Dix is not really yet comfortable with the novel form because this has got a lot of sort of ideas that would be good as short stories or novellas. Right. Uh, separately.
2: We haven't even discussed the giant alien jellyfish or the creatures created to make a living on Venus or any of those things. <laughs>
0: Uh, So, have you got the back of the book?
2: I do. So, we listened to the most recent, I guess, recording by Brilliance audio of this book. They've been re-releasing all these books. And the description on the back of the audiobook says, Precognition, A World Ruled by Relativism, Giant Alien Jellyfish. And then it goes on to explain the story. Did you guys see a giant alien jellyfish?
0: Not exactly.
2: Yeah, um, I kept looking.
0: <laughs> a giant alien pollen? Yeah, it's it's. I think we had that little Twitter back and forth about it being the reproductive system of a of a giant alien jellyfish,
2: maybe. Yeah, it's like there are spores.
0: They're polyps.
2: Yeah,
0: or, but- but it's more like a tree, I think. Except there seemed to be some sort of. Uh, um, there seem to be some sort of sexual thing to it, whereas um, it can, there, it says uh, with regards to jellyfish reproductive system. Um, after fertilization, a primitive free swimming larval form called a planula, <laughs> ooh, I like saying that word, planula, develops. The planula is a small larva covered with cilia. It settles in onto a firm surface and develops into a polyp. Some polyps can also actually re- produce a creeping frustulae larval form, which then develops into a new polyp. The polyp is generally a small planted stalk with a mouth that is ring It's nothing like a jellyfish, is it?
2: Well, I mean, there is that one scene in the book where something kind of slithers over into a crevice and it looks like it's dead, but it's not. It's putting its roots down. Mm-hmm. Kind of like mm-hmm. what they were saying, so I guess there's some similarities there, but it's not the same thing as a jellyfish. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: The other thing that the back of the book says which I think is really fascinating. It describes Floyd Jones, says he's always been able to see exactly a year into his future. Jones is a powerful force and may just be able to force society away from its paralyzing relativism, if, that is, he can avoid the radioactively unstable government hitman on his tail. That makes it sound like the story is about Jones or makes Jones out to be the hero, but I kind of felt like the book did the opposite.
0: It is the opposite of that, really. Jones is—he's not—he's not—he's not totally unsympathetic, but he's not the hero, I don't think. I, I'm not sure. Philip K. Dick doesn't really do heroes, but the closest would be Cusick, I would say, or or possibly the um, uh, the father of all those uh, those babies. Oh yeah. Venus.
2: Yeah, the Venus babies.
0: That, I mean, that that sort of a—he's uh, kind of a villain, but he's kind of. At the end, I think he gets redeemed. Is mm-hmm. is wise? I I think we should talk about that section because that's how the novel starts, and it starts, and then it re- takes this quite a big shift away to the stuff about Jones, right?
3: Right.
0: And then it comes back, and yes. jellyfish, and then it comes back, or sorry, the space alien reproductive system, um, and then it comes back to the the people in the womb. So, it starts off with seven uh, mutants who are in some, some I picture like a warehouse or something in San Francisco that's got special, special air pumped into it and lots of uh, steam and uh, ammonia in the atmosphere. And they've also got um, artificial animals. Uh, Little like snakes and things slithering all over the lakes and the grounds, and the walls are painted like, uh, like I don't know, Venusian. Hmm. <laughs> and then uh, there's slime all over the ground. It's like, um, and then they they say it's the womb the characters say it's the womb and then the author says it's the womb. And then the, a couple other people mention it's the womb. <laughs> and then they all agree with each other. It's the womb. Hmm. Um, it's also very hot. Yeah, it's, it's hot and it's moist and it's, um, uh, and they're not allowed to go anywhere. They can't go outside.
2: Well, they're free to try.
0: <laughs> they do. There's that scene where they, they go outside and.
2: Yeah. And, and he says that every once in a while they get in, in their heads that they need to go try again, and they just can't survive in the Earth's atmosphere. So they're doing it to protect them.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it kind of a little bit reminded me of, you know, the Truman Show, because they couldn't understand why they were in there. They couldn't understand the, the, the reason that the government would, you know, put them in there, other than the fact They say, well, they're doing it for our own good, because we were born uh, unable to live outside. And uh, that's not exactly true. And you you think one of the things that does tie it together a bit is that Jones is saying, right, as soon as we meet him, he's saying um, that people have to get off of Earth. They can't just live on Earth. It's overcrowded. It's uh, it's recycling old stuff instead of um, exploring new stuff, and we're stuck. We're 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 not in a good way, and we have to get off of Earth. And they say, "What do you mean, like Mars and Venus?" And he says, "No, out to the stars, other other planets." And um, the people just nobody agrees with him. And if you look at the society that's ha- would have been happening in 1956. Um, it's true. Nobody in 1956. Very few people were thinking about uh, colonizing other planets. We're still kind of in that way, right? Yeah, that's we're not the, putting
2: resources into it.
0: Newt Gingrich, right? He, his his plan to uh, have uh, the moon be the 51st state, right? Hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, it sort of got laugh, laughed off the stage. I thought, oh, he actually has one good idea there. <laughs>
3: <There's
0: one laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I want King, uh, King Newt uh, running the moon, but uh, it's one—it's it would be uh, a real shot in the arm, I think, to um, the economic system to actually have a project that wasn't uh, that wasn't all. Ah, that's just my bias towards space exploration but uh, i think that he's kind of saying that as well and uh you see the problem is is that pe- most people say what's the point it's we got problems here on earth let's solve those uh and the government kind of agrees except for who's cussick's boss that's that's the guy we
2: yeah i can't remember his name uh
0: hearson hmm. or something Pearson?
2: I think is Pearson's my, the one that does the little aliens, the little
0: the, yeah, the that, Venus not children.
1: The,
0: <laughs> not the same guy.
2: Oh.
1: Same guy. Or who's Kaminsky?
2: Kaminsky, that's what I was thinking of, but he's like a former former general.
0: Right, Kaminsky's the one who's the the dad. He's the dad of all those those uh, mutants, right? His plan is to put them on venus uh not because um he wants to live on venus but because humanity should live on venus and this uh this is one of the things that um does come up in uh as a science fiction theme this this part of science fiction has a name that's called pantropy where you atropism is is um towardsness and it it's um what allows plants to grow up towards light and um, animals to fit into new niches or plants to fit into new, new niches. And pantropy is the idea that instead of having us move to Mars and um, just live in domes, it would be us move to Mars and be genetically modified so that we could live there. Or Venus and be genetically modified so we could live there. Or Jupiter and be genetically modified to live there. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's, it's not a super popular form of science fiction, uh, mostly because you know you don't get to paint the nice people on the cover, maybe.
2: <laughs> but actually, this is really interesting because the only other book I'm reading right now is um, Nexus, and it's science fiction. It's by this guy named Ramez Nam. But what he's written otherwise is nonfiction. He actually is a computer scientist, and um, the book that he's most known for is More Than Human, Embracing the Promise of Biological Enhancement, and it talks about how we need to normalize things like genetic modification and uh, neurological transmitters and all that kind of thing to move forward, which is almost exactly what you just said, like... To move humanity forward, we would probably want to modify ourselves to live on other planets. doesn't mean we're yeah. not human anymore. It means we're right. taking advantage of the science that we've learned, and that's kind of his argument, too.
0: Um, it's right. not just genetically modified food, it's gene- genetically modified you. Yeah. Actually, in Kim
1: Stanley Robinson's 2312, they had that, too, where people are modified to live on Mercury and uh, I think either Jupiter or one of the moons of Jupiter big solar panels. If you live on, on Mercury, right? And well, they, have, what... they have a city that constantly moves in, in the shadow of the sun. Uh. Are the people modified or are they just
0: modified their uh, living environment?
1: No, they, they, they themselves are physically modified.
0: Yeah. yeah. Then that's, that's, that's what it is. Uh, by the way, that there's a very famous, um, uh, fix up novel by Theodore Sturgeon called more than human. That is about that. Right. Um, so that's probably where...
2: Uh, oh, title came from, huh? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about the world Jones made is that in the beginning, when Jones first starts, you know, giving his prophecies or whatever that allows him to move from being a fortune teller at a carnival to being a cult leader, <laughs> his big message is, you've got to do something about the drifters. The drifters are coming. No one's making any plans. You know, this is the most important thing. And then we kind of learn at the end that he was wrong. Is that what we're supposed to gather?
0: (laughs) Well, I think, um, yes. And he was wrong. And then when he finds out that he's wrong a year in advance, he says, that's it. I'm not going to be around here for when things go badly. Um, and so he can be turned into a Jesus basically. Um,
2: but we don't yeah. get to see what happens after everyone figures out that he's wrong. And I kind of wish...
0: I kind of wish that had been... He it, didn't it,
1: have it, to die at the end, but then he puts
0: himself in front of the bullet. Was, <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. so we, right. should probably, yeah, we should probably talk about how that predestination... Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a weird concept that you always know exactly what's going to happen for a year. You know everything that's going to happen... Or everything that you would know in the next year, you know now. If that was true, um, you would have a lot of uh, weird uh, conversations, I would think. And that is fairly well explored. It's sort of overshadowed by a lot of the other things that's going on. It's like uh, when he sat down to write the book. He did it over a series of, you know, a couple weeks with a lot of meth. And made a whole bunch of very interesting chapters and then tried to fold them in together. And some of them, some of the transitions and such don't work that great, but there are a lot of interesting scenes. So when we hear uh, the first serious conversation Jones has with Cusick and crew, they are talking, he, he, he talks about, uh, Cusick says, oh, I understand what you're saying about your, your abilities. You can see a year into the future. That's exactly like when I was a kid, and I would have seen the movie uh, that everybody in the movie theater is watching already. I went to see it once, and then I came back and saw it a second time. And that second time, I was telling everyone, uh, I was shouting out the lines ahead of the the actors and I was doing it because I had contempt for everybody in the audience. <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh, that's, yeah, that does sound like an evil kid thing to do. Right? <laughs> I I never had, I've, I've heard of that. I've seen that in movies where people shout out the lines of uh, maybe like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but they don't do it right. out of malice, right? They do it out of like entertainment or I'm not sure.
2: Right And his argument was kind of strange because it's not like I mean, if the other people had seen the movie, they could have done the same thing, so it's not really that unique of a talent.
0: No, no, it's not, but it's 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 kids getting off on power and yeah how I, I see that 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 getting off on power thing. So if you could see a year in the future, uh, all, everything um, like he, he even reacts to people's comments. Before they say them, right? Uh, somebody says something in a minute. He's he's like his face turns white and he gets really upset. Well, he he knows what that guy's going to say, and yet that guy still says it, right?
3: Well,
2: and he doesn't seem to have any control not to say his lines either.
0: That's right, and he's frustrated. About
2: yeah. It. So he's like this angry little actor.
0: <laughs> yeah, he thinks he thinks. Uh, you know, you guys don't—you guys don't know how good you got it because you don't have to. You don't have. Uh, you think you have free will. You, you think you have your own. You, your own fate. Um, but his end, Jones's end—he dives in front of a bullet shot in anger. Right. He's got two security guards. Uh, one of them says something about Kassik's wife, <laughs> and Kassik. Cusack- uh, without even thinking about it, reaches into his pocket and points the gun at the guy and and Jones jumps in front of the bullet to save the life of his bodyguard. Not really, right? To kill himself. Mm-hmm. Right. And he knew that that gun would come out and the bullet would be fired and he could see that he got shot there. Why would he jump in front of it? Well, he jumped in front of it because he wanted to have himself be killed not kill himself but have himself be killed so he could be uh thought of as a uh, religious yeah in down into the future and it didn't matter that he had made a voice recording you know telling what was going to happen and sent it to them no evidence that was presented would have prevented him becoming the next jesus because the story was too good Right. Because the war, I I guess the war that's coming is or the war that's on is going to be uh, start being lost after the day after Jones is shot. Right. So, you know, the way Hitler died was near the end of World War Two, at least in Europe, um, in a bunker. Right. He killed himself. But uh, imagine the allies landed in uh 44 and just as uh the beachhead is there somebody assassinates hitler um if the war continues the loss can be blamed on hitler having been uh assassinated right we were again shot you know we were again lost by traitors the war was lost by traitors because we had won every battle up to that point. They could, the argument could be made. And that's sort of the mindset Jones is going for. Except he doesn't see himself as Hitler. He sees himself as a good guy. Sort of. I think.
2: Yeah, I think he does. I think he sees himself as the only per- only person focused on the things that matter. Except for that, how could a precog be wrong? <laughs> <laughs> That's the part I'm still kind of confused about.
0: Uh, Kaminsky doesn't Kaminsky try to um, to test that He tries to see if he can get around Jones's precognite. He's, he's only a precog in his own knowledge. so like like he, I think Kaminsky says we could lock him in a room for a year then he wouldn't know anything you know no, don't let him read the newspapers don't let him know anything else he only knows stuff that he would know within the year
2: so the things he's actually experienced himself
0: that's right he has future knowledge of his own knowledge
2: right and so that's a big difference than like knowing the future of humanity which is what he bills himself as knowing
0: i, I wonder what imagine you had that power in like first year of university okay you mm-hmm. you know First, first class. You know everything you will know at the end of the year. Uh, will you pass your first exam? I would say I don't know <laughs> because if you know what you know at the end of the year, then presumably you've done your homework, you've studied, you've you've uh, you know done all the essays. You know everything you need to do to pass that first exam. That first exam comes, and you get an F. Well. Uh, what does that say? And if you get an A, what does that say? Because it, it, the A means you you're gonna have worked hard. Presumably,
1: maybe you crammed and then you forgot it by the end of the year.
0: Um, so you wouldn't know it then. Yeah, but it's not like you have knowledge of the end. All the you don't. It's not like you have on day A. You don't have knowledge of day Z, and then you've forgotten. X and Y and everything up to A. It's it's that you have all of that, okay. but you. I think it's very confusing.
2: It is because at the same time he's still trapped into the same conversations and the same responses. So you would think he'd have to take the test the same way too. <laughs>
0: uh, there's um, one other aspect of the novel that I is most familiar to me. Uh, with regard to Philip Kiddick's short stories, and that's the, um, the Cussix and his wife and their child. You know, Cussix, I, th- I think he's the main character, wouldn't you say?
2: I think so. I see him that way.
0: It's kind of. He's, he's on screen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cussix, uh, he's a secret policeman, uh, and his wife is... She she's not a communist. What is she? She communist?
2: She's a relativist.
0: What? Is she? Because oh wait, the opposite.
2: Whatever the opposite would be. Because isn't she a
1: secret for... Jonesian?
2: Yeah, she's secretly working for him. It's, so her so... behavior would get her sent to a labor camp if it were found out.
0: Right, and she she's been uh, she's been rebelling against her husband by yeah she's not a relativist by robbing. Uh, sorry, uh, shoplifting. She she shoplifts um, useless items so as to rebel against him being a policeman. And she has done it several times. And there's a conversation between, I think, Cusick and Kaminsky about about why she did that. And I thought that was really interesting, uh, sort of sexist, Philip K. Dick. Do you remember that conversation? Actually, don't. <laughs> yeah. Mm, not really. He, he said. He said. Um, Kaminsky is saying, "Why do you think she does that?" And Kusik says something like, "Well, uh, she she did it tw- two more times, and then it came it came to me why she was doing it. She was yelling against me, and and." he said well why is she rebelling against you well because people don't like uh cops because we're enforcing relativism and everybody has strong opinions that they really want to get out but they they can't because look what happened during the war and the war was caused by the relativism is a response to war right to the war of uh, hatred of partisanness and you know uh um, fascists versus the communists, or whatever, um, and that that response is uh, rejected by the majority because people really do have opinions. They say I don't like asparagus, but they don't just say I don't like asparagus. They say asparagus sucks, and then jail for saying asparagus sucks. Ridiculous, right? So really, I mean, it's reasonable that people don't like it. But he says that women. Uh, he says, I sometimes think women are like lit. They just they're nothing in themselves. They just take a reading of the background of the the society as a whole. And he sees his wife as a as a sort of a, a person who goes along with whatever society's trends are. And society's trends can be led by, you know, powerful individuals like uh, a Hitler or a Jones. And they don't really have a bearing on, uh, they don't, aren't aren't really caused by individual will.
2: Right. I I do remember this now. It was more about how you could ask her her opinion at any moment and she Mm -hmm. would somehow have the majority opinion. She would, she would know it because it was her opinion too. (laughs)
0: I, I heard a podcast yesterday um, about uh, somebody was talking about visiting an elderly relative, and he said the, I think it was a I think it was a podcast, and he said that the elderly relative would would um, be very nice and kind, and then every once in a while would spout these hideously uh, offensive, you know. Positions. Um, I don't know, ra- racist or or sexist or you know, something like that. And the explanation was, well, she's lonely and she listens to talk radio all day. And that's sort of what she knows. <laughs> Not really have, have it built into her that she believes that you know all Mexicans are whatever. Presum- Presumably that'd be something like she would say But um, That fact that it was soaking in Into the background And, and there wasn't somebody there To say no grandma, that's wrong uh, just So that she just as- Accepted it And I didn't like that
2: I think the great irony Within the context of this story Though is that Kaminsky And Cusick talking about this as if this is the wrong thing for her to do but <laughs> they're the ones that are supposed to be the proponents of relativism but yet they are judging her all the time they judge oh. when she takes heroin because oh. you know everyone should be able to he runs after her when she wants to go dance with the hermaphrodite you know oh. it, it's just his nature completely to be making these decisions about right and wrong and good and bad and it's just ironic to me.
0: <laughs> I was really, I, I think that's a great, when they go to the, to the bar uh, and I picked that was that, is it the, yeah, it was the wife who picked that place, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: which was like, a, uh, it's half brothel, half bar restaurant. And the, the, um, Kaminsky brought a girlfriend, and he didn't know her last name somebody worked around the office but i was i thought it was just great that she had a, her own story right and we just see her sort of sitting in the background of the restaurant not saying much and then somebody says oh and what's your story and then she tells a story and it's like oh wow she she's a white girl her parents were killed in china mm-hmm. she's party uh and holy that's it's like that's a diversion, right? Um, so it's 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 a it's a funny situation because there is so much going on in this world. In this world, it seems almost like there's a, it's almost fully realized, and yet uh, you know the masses are not well represented. I don't think on, on screen. Uh, I I'm, I don't understand why the Jones followers are the Jones followers. At least from what we see on the on the page. But there are lots of little touches like that that are pretty interesting, and that and the the I mean the whole idea of a world full of relativism is is pretty um, is pretty compelling,
2: right? And I think part of the problem with why you don't see the masses or or why you don't get a sense of them is because Philip K. Dick jumps around in time. I mean, first you see him at the carnival. And then the next time you hear about him, he's already this leader with all these followers, and I don't think we know how he got there. Do we?
0: Twenty, it's twenty years later or whatever, and
2: yeah, so you miss a lot of that.
0: Yeah, all we know is he's got security now, and he ref- he refused a certain position. I mean, he's a he's a pastor or something. He's a he's a priest. He's not official. He's not officially the government until near the end right um it is uh, there is a lot uh of, there are a lot of parallels with the story of hitler and his rise in power it's not ex- explicated it's not said that much it is mentioned a couple of times but it is uh it's it's kind of uh, a retelling in a certain way it doesn't really make any sense uh with regard to he he, he was rebelling against you know um, you know the mixing of races and stuff like that and uh, Jones isn't he doesn't think um, we should colonize other planets like in the pantropic way right He thinks we should colonize them uh, sort of I don't know as regular colonists would. I think I think that's what's going on and and that's like we need breathing room. It's it, it's an analogy that could be looked at more, but it's it's not a it's not a great novel, is my thinking. It's just lots of really interesting scenes and plenty of good ideas. It
1: just spurs with maybe less interesting scenes.
0: Uh, yeah, there's some less interesting scenes. I I think he's also I mean he's not that great at um, he's really good at domestic stuff. He's not that great at like portraying organizations. He, he never really worked for a, a major, you know, government agency. <laughs> and so we don't really get a good handle on how that works. He, he's more of a guy who stays at home and writes all day and works at the record store. Hmm. Office worker. He doesn't, he doesn't see all of that that well. So we don't see all of that that well. But I think he gets the domestic stuff pretty good.
2: Yeah, you know, I would have liked to read Tyler's story. That's the 17-year-old that grew up in China. And I would have liked to read an entire story of the Venus children and their getting to know their new planet. <laughs> Those two ideas I think were the most interesting to me.
0: Uh, I should point out that the the Venus story is I mean he he comes back to themes, you know, there's a little bit of paranoia in the in the Venus section right at the beginning it says you know how do we know that they're not doing it for malicious purposes and mm. what else? and um, there is, I just posted a story recently uh, called shell game which is a uh, set on a Venus like tropical you know boggy planet uh, it's not Venus it's Beetlejuice too but um, and it's a bunch of uh Earth colonists who are actually turns out they're all insane. Uh, they're uh paranoid and they're going to colonize the Earth and get uh, colonize the planet, and then go back to Earth and punish them for sending sending them there, even though it was an accident. It appears. <laughs> the uh, which book is that? Short story called Shell Game. Oh, fantastic short story, but it is uh, it does hilarious scenes in it there's there's a scene where uh, the the nine um colony are in a underground bunker that they've built that has six six exits because uh, any one of them might have a uh, a collapse so they have to have backup exits and in during the meeting in which they are discussing the various attacks had upon their community by uh unknown force of aliens that are out to gap or poison their well. Uh, Each of the members of the council are using various pieces of protecting equipment to prevent them from being killed uh, (laughs) from various external attacks. So some of them have like suits of armor and others have uh, an ejector seat ready to launch them out of the, out of the bunker in case somebody plants a bomb there. And it's like just various forms of paranoia, all, all trying, paranoid people, all trying to live together and not think that they're against each other, which is pretty funny. It's a humorous, humorous little scene in a sort of a strange little story. Hey, Dick novels, have you guys read? Um, I have to look it up. I think like <clears throat>
1: decades ago, I read. Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, but I can't even remember, remember it now. I think I even read Martian Time Slip. That's a great one.
0: I really like Martian Time Slip. Yeah, it seems
1: to be the one everybody says is the best.
0: Uh, I like Galactic Pot Healer as well. That's, um, uh, that that one actually, that's the first thing that came to mind when Jenny said, you know, Jenny ish. Um, that's actually like, it's basically a Cthulhu-like monster. At the bottom of an ocean on another planet, and he's trying to help him rise out from the depths. Um, and the main character of that story is a, um, a potter on Earth, whose job it is to go go there and help this giant evil uh, elder god out of the bottom of the ocean. It's, it's pretty funny and and interesting and hilarious and hmm. science fiction.
2: Philosophical.
0: I read. <laughs> electric sheep.
2: Yeah, I've read that one a long a while ago, and then recently I read that counter clock world one, where everything went backwards. <laughs> I think that's about it. I guess otherwise I've just read short stories like we. What's the name of Total Recall? We want to remember it for you wholesale.
3: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> or we can remember it for you wholesale. I just listened to that new audio version of that.
0: What did you think of the ending? I think the end's really. Uh, oh, no, sorry. The 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 park bench near the end. Then there's a, an extra end that I think is pretty good. But he's like, the culmination of that story ends on a guy sitting on a bench talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> joke, right? It's a joke of people walking by, are like, what the hell's wrong? matter with him? He just, if I, if I come in, will you treat me okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm staring at him.
2: Poor guy. <laughs>
1: I'll say he was definitely crazy.
0: Uh, um, no, it's just that, that it looks like he's crazy. He's talking to himself because they planted a tracker in his head.
2: Well, in the audio version, he makes the two kind of versions of Joe slightly different in their voice, so you can tell the difference. It's kind of nice. That'd be good. It's a better way to listen to it.
1: I think I read The Zap Gun a long time ago. <clears throat>
0: I don't think I've read that one. What's that one about?
1: Uh, all I remember is there's like some scene in another dimension in the middle that I really liked, and then I didn't like the rest of it. He
0: he, he can do that. Yeah, I'm a fan of his short stories and not, but uh, he can seems he can sort of crack a little better. I haven't read Zap Gun. Looks interesting. I never read Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Well, it's uh, not the movie. It's not the movie. There, there's you can see kind of how the movie is based on it, but it doesn't have the same feel as the movie at all.
2: No, not at all.
0: <laughs> the the yeah, it's it, it's not even clear who you know, who the good in the in the movie. it's not it's totally not clear in the novel. if There is a bad guy. Exactly. And they're totally unclear in the in completely different ways. Um,
2: Just relativism again, huh?
0: <laughs> I Maybe. Good ones to read are um, the one that was turned into that movie uh, with Iron Man. Who's that guy? Who's oh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, okay. Scanner Darkly? Scanner Darkly. That's a good one to read. And then uh, it's the movie tracks it um it's it's a it's got a plot it's fairly on topic there's some hilarious scenes in it um and i think they even capture one of those in the movie pretty well and then um of course there's the man in the high castle which is uh i think most people agree is his best book oh uh, that's what but, i meant the one about uh is it about like hitler
1: but when he yeah. actually wins the war
0: yeah, it's, it's about uh, uh, people living in California and Colorado uh, who are living under Jap- Japanese occupation. Um, the United States has been divided into Japanese and German occupied zones. And Germany, what we see of it off screen is ravaging uh, Africa and not doing very nice things to the rest of North America. And the Japanese are much more benevolent. Um but uh, it's, it's, it's a thought book. It, it talks a little bit about, uh, about some other topics, but its main focus is what it be like to live in an alternate world that was, slow, was aware that it was possible to have an alternate world. And basically it's just talking about our, if you read alternate history books, then you know about that. Right, but these are people who live in an alternate history world in which alternate history books also exist. This is one of the things you know. I talked with about Luke a long time ago. Um, most people who live in science universes don't read science books. That extra level makes it a little more interesting. People who live in alternate history worlds should read alternate history books. Cool.
3: It's
2: definitely one I'd like to read. And, you know, we've been getting copies of a large number of Philip K. Dick lately, so there's a lot out there right now mm. to listen to and to read.
0: Oh, by Brilliance, yet, but they seem to be going through all the, all the stuff that's never been audiobooked before.
3: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: yeah, BBC, so- is supposed, BBC
1: is supposed to be adapting uh, Man in the High Castle for BBC One. As a TV series, right? Yeah.
2: Hmm, that could be interesting.
0: Set in California, I wonder what. I wonder if they'll film it there. Set in San Francisco, and again, you know, that's a. It's a funny book because it's 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 got, oh. epic, but it's about a guy who uh, makes jewelry, <laughs> which Philip K. at one point did. His wife was really into making jewelry, and he would help with that. And you've got really into it. <laughs> like, he, he's not like you know, a lot of science fiction writers. They, you know, they work at NASA, or they're chemists, or, you know, there's some sort of institutional background uh, they can bring to it. Well, old Kate brings record jobs and, and, uh, and uh, jewelry making to his expertise.
2: Well, and um, Tama and I both came across an article about Terry Gilliam wanting to adapt the world Jones made for film, too. I don't know if he's done any work on it yet.
0: Be, uh, it might be easier to see as a movie, uh, the plot. It could be, you know, you throw out scenes where uh, um, um, on top Jones gets his, uh, his groove on with the population. Not sure. 2009. Yeah, it still could be in the works.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Could be interesting.
0: By the way, um, uh, I should tell you, the voucher who uh, was Philip K. Day's mentor, uh, dismissed the novel as quote a hasty and disappointing effort." Yeah, I saw that on Wikipedia. Oh, uh, from uh, a review in FNSF, I guess. Oh, well. I, I still enjoyed reading it. I, I can't recommend it highly, but I, I enjoyed
2: reading it. Yeah, the ideas are interesting.
0: Yeah, it kind
1: of goes in and out for me. Like, I would perk up at one point and then kind of zone out at another point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I hear that.
2: Yeah, I might have to go back and listen to the end again because I'm not sure I remember what happened. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, in the is he
1: is he in the end of civil war, or do the aliens come back?
0: Uh, it's the civil. War, I think. Okay.
2: Yeah, and it was like they were they were saying that eventually they were going to go back, but I wasn't sure if that was the aliens or the the people that were sent to Venus with the aliens. Uh,
0: uh, the aliens being the spores, or the aliens...
2: I mean the. Yeah, the adapted. The, I call them aliens, but they're not aliens.
0: The I believe and its wife, uh, go to Venus, don't they? Yeah. So I think I think it's like begin again on Venus. The op- colonies are calling. A chance to begin again, in a golden land of opportunity and adventure. And slime. That's fine.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.